Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Violent crime has seen a spike, particularly that in homicides from 2020 and 2021. And often we look at those headlines and we wonder what the cause is. Is it a gun law issue? Is it a community issue? Is it a home issue? Uh, What kind of issue is it? And what are we doing that is going to actually prevent it? Let's dig in just a little deeper and think again. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. So last year, University of Utah law professor Paul Cassell looked at whether a spike in homicides and gun crimes uh, and a decline in proactive policing could be traced to departments having to divert resources to patrol demonstrations and some of the other unrest during the summer of 2020. It looked like there was a correlation, something he called the Minneapolis effect. Uh, Now here we are one year later and we're trying to figure out, uh, is there a link and what does that link look like? And uh, what are we hoping to uh, to figure out there? Uh, again, uh, looking at uh, the report. So this was a report from last year. It's really interesting. Uh, Paul Cassell from the University of Utah uh, did this report uh, last fall in 2020, but it's actually been uh, very uh widely reported just in the last couple of weeks as we've seen another spike, of course, in homicides, particularly over the uh, 4th of July weekend. And it was interesting in uh, in his work, in his uh, research, uh, he said, uh, again, this was last fall in 2020. Uh, 2020 will easily be the deadliest year in America for gun-related homicides since at least 1999. And he noted that while, you know, most other crime categories were trending kind of flat or even slightly downward in terms of trends on a lot of uh, crime categories, uh, homicides, of course, had been up significantly. And so in his research, uh, Paul Cassell was really attempting to explain why so many cities had seen such an extraordinary increase uh, in murder and homicides during the summer of 2020. Uh, the analysis uh, went on to look at some of those patterns and suggests that American cities may be witnessing significant declines in some forms of policing. 
which in turn is producing the homicide spike. Uh, So in other words, crime rates are increasing uh, only for a few specific categories. Again, homicides, shootings. Uh, These are crimes that are particularly responsive to reductions in proactive policing. So in other words, uh, because many police forces were uh, distracted doing other things during that summer of 2020, there was a lot of the proactive policing, some of the things that happened in communities uh, that just simply were not taking place. Of course, since then, we've seen uh, a lot of the the calls to defund the police. And in some cities, uh, there have been reallocation of funds and so on. And, and the question to me remains is, are we diverting some of those traditional things that police do uh, in terms of just the proactive policing, that connection to community, some of those things that we know are so critical, uh, where often uh, crimes get circumvented, uh, you know, guns are confiscated in uh, traffic stops and, and things like that. Uh, So as you look at those uh, crime categories, again, uh, all of this research was taking place during 2020. Important to to note that, uh, that while we have seen this spike, especially over the last weekend in terms of homicides and shootings uh, in America, uh, a close analysis of those patterns suggests, again, that in these uh, many cities, they may be witnessing uh, these declines in proactive policing uh, and that it's possible that the homicide spike is correlated or connected to that in some way. And, and so as we look at that, uh, and as uh, Professor uh, Cassell and his team looked at, the, the thesis of their article last fall was that the recent spikes uh, in homicide may may have been caused by what they termed a Minneapolis effect, uh, similar to the earlier Ferguson effect uh, from uh, from the previous year. Specifically, law enforcement agencies uh, have been forced to divert resources from normal policing uh, to patrolling demonstrations. And again, some have experienced uh, cuts in funding since then. And even as the uh, anti-police protests have abated, police officers have scaled back on a lot of proactive or officer initiative law enforcement, such as street stops, other forms of policing designed to prevent firearms crimes. Uh, And so this was interesting Uh, in this thesis. And if the thesis is correct, uh, it's reasonable to estimate as a result of de-policing during June and July. Again, this is last year, 2020, uh, approximately 710 additional victims were murdered and more than 2,800, 2,800 victims were shot. Uh, Now, there's no uh, clean analysis on all of that. Uh, and so it, it's really an interesting thing to uh, to think through in terms of, of what that actually means and how that goes. And we've actually got uh, uh, Professor Paul Cassell on the line with us. Uh, thanks for joining us, Professor. And uh, just help us understand this just a little bit. I've uh, been trying to just step through some of uh, your thesis from last year. And so interesting that uh, it really has become uh, widely reported just in the last couple of weeks as we've seen similar spikes. And uh, just wondering what your thought is in terms of that Minneapolis effect. Are we, we know we saw something along those lines uh, for, for last year. Are you seeing similar things as you look at things uh, moving into 2021? We are. Uh, sadly, uh, homicide rates increased uh, right at the end of May uh, in 2020. And I think uh, 
any of your listeners are aware, uh, that pattern seems to be continuing in uh, many of the big cities around the country for this year. Uh, you know, there there is a big debate. Well, okay, I think everybody agrees homicides went up last year, but people have different explanations for that. Some people were saying, well, it's, you know, it's the pandemic that was causing all that. But uh, if it was the pandemic that caused homicides to go up, the pandemic is waning now. Vaccines are around and uh, infection rates are falling, but we're not seeing, uh, sadly, a decline in uh, homicide rates. So it, it must be something else that caused the spike uh, from last year, and, and that's continuing uh, through this year. Yeah, and does it seem to be that uh, you talked in your in your uh, research specifically in terms of law enforcement, you know, scaling back some of those proactive policing or patrolling efforts. Uh, And I guess that could be a double cause. Some that was a diversion of attention during the 2020 summer. Uh, Some of that could be because of funding issues uh, coming into 2021. Anything you've seen there in terms of a pattern? Yeah, I think there are just a variety of different things that are leading to law enforcement uh, efforts being uh, scaled back. Uh, You know, right uh, when the anti-police protests began last May, uh, a lot of police uh, agencies, including uh, some of our agencies here in Utah, had to be uh, diverted to patrolling the uh, the protests and, and uh, uh, handling those. But I think more broadly, what we're seeing is at, at some level, perhaps a demoralization of law enforcement around mm-hmm. the country, certainly a uh, less willingness to to uh, uh, make the sort of aggressive moves that are sometimes needed to prevent crimes uh, from happening. We've seen that, for example, in Portland, where 50 police officers resigned after one of their colleagues uh, was charged with a crime. Uh, And I think just in general, police officers are quite understandably uh, uh, reluctant to maybe take some of the aggressive steps that they've taken in the past that that are important to fighting, uh, particularly uh, 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 gun crimes. Yeah. And I think it's I do think it's important. Uh, Obviously, there were some things that needed to be changed or assessed or or, uh, you know, retrained or or repositioned. Uh, But I I've always worried that if you have police officers who, as you said, are, are reluctant if they're if they have to hesitate and vacillate before doing something, uh, they're likely not to do not to act. Is that right? I think that's the case. I mean, uh, you know, I think a lot of police officers have seen you know these videotapes that have gone viral, uh, where an officer did something that uh, is subject to second guessing later on, and and so there's just a natural tendency. Look, let's be clear. I'm not saying that every police officer is always doing everything perfectly, but I I think we in this country, uh, particularly in many of of our nation's largest cities, there's just been a very uh, great reluctance to back police officers and and a focus on on one half of the equation, preventing police misconduct or police abuse, which, again, is very important. But there there needs to be a balance between uh, having effective law enforcement and uh, preventing abuses. And I I think we've uh, got that balance uh, somewhat out of whack over the last year or so. Yeah. And and finally, uh, Professor, before I let you go, uh, anything else you're noticing or anything else kind of bubbling under the surface like that that we should be aware of in terms of achieving that really important balance that you just described? Well, you know, I think we haven't seen exactly how the uh, defund the police effort is going to to play out. Uh, and I, I think that's something for everyone to keep an eye on. It is interesting that just today uh, in New York City, uh, obviously a very liberal city, a, a, uh, a Democratic candidate prevailed and was declared the, the winner there, who was running, uh, I think, primarily on an anti-crime mm-hmm. platform, 
an African-American who's saying, look, the brunt of crime in this city is, is falling on impoverished and, and minority communities. And we need, you know, we, do, we don't need uh, uh, police officers abusing people, but we do need effective law enforcement to keep communities safe. So I think it'll be interesting to see what happens in, in other cities around the country as, as crime becomes a, a bigger issue for the public. Yeah, so important. Uh, Paul Cassell from the University of Utah Law Professor, uh, thanks so much for joining us today. And uh, we'll have you back. I want to dig deeper into some of this as we move on through the summer here in 2021. Sounds good. All right. Uh, Again, that's uh, Professor Paul Cassell. And again, I I think this balance between making sure we're we're rooting out racism and bias uh, anywhere, uh, not just in our in our police uh, and law enforcement. Uh, Of course, that needs to be done. And and at the same time, we need to make sure that we aren't uh, creating such reluctance that uh, our law enforcement aren't able to do the proactive things that we know keep communities and keep individuals safe. Lots to think about on that one. And uh, we'll continue to track this as we move forward. Think again with Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.